Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Because so frequently I'm the one that gets thrown under the bus for a lack of recognition of cultural and pop cultural references... I think I'm going to do a little throwing under the bus right out of the gate. You didn't even do the intro. You're just torching me out of the gate. Right out of the gate. So Rippy is now, we think, Master Rippy. Last class in the books. Thank you, Hey Dad. What is it? Dr. Rippy. Thank you. Yeah, well, whatever. He just had his last presentation. It was a pretty interesting story. About these guys that went out to Colorado and... They're kind of thrill-seeking, and apparently somewhere along the way basically lived in a van. That Down by the river? I, I think, well, there you go. Oh, my because, God. Because, hey, Dad, I said to him, because I've gotten enough of the story that I said to him, I sure do hope that you titled your presentation, In a Van Down by the River. And he goes, was that a song or something? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> What that, is, what is that was it? Borky's response as well. <laughs> I used a word that I can't repeat on the air, but yeah, I said, holy... you got to be Rippy. kidding me, Rippy. What is it? It's like the most famous Chris Farley skit from Saturday Night Live. And I'm not a Saturday Night Live guy. I do like Chris Farley. I'm not a pop culture guy. But that's a reference that shouldn't be lost even on you. Be sure to write that one down. Okay. We'll, we're going to we'll make you watch it at the break is what we're going to do. We'll, we'll watch the skit coming up in the break. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you'll laugh, I think, unless you're just trying to be tough guy. Sports Talk Mississippi brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you want to text the show, you can. If you want to throw some derision at Brian Scott Rippey, you can do that on the C Spire text line. The number is 601 879 4395. 601-879-4395. You can also hit us up on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. It's at Sports Talk M-I-S-S. Borky, you threw not necessarily a poll, but at least a question out there that we'd love to get some response on. Oh, which one? I've got a couple. Uh, the one with regard to Ole Miss, Mississippi State football, Egg Bowl, and the yeah. gravity of this weekend's baseball series and how it might relate to football. Yeah, I was struggling to sleep, and so when I lay in in bed collecting my thoughts, for some reason I always think about you guys and, and what I'm going to bring to the show today. It's I know it's the worst thing possible, but I was thinking mm. this morning, hey, we've got a marquee matchup in baseball. Are we also that- the first thing you think about when you wake up in the morning? <laughs> At times, yeah, but uh, I hate myself for it. But yeah, that does happen. Um, but we got a marquee matchup in Oxford this weekend in baseball, and not because it's Ole Miss and Mississippi State, because it's two top fifteen teams with uh, 
hosting implications on the line. Nationally relevant year-in and year-out programs facing off this weekend. What will it take for the Egg Bowl to be on this level, at least relatively consistently? Um, well, we'll think on that a little bit. You can uh, respond on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. Again, it's at Sports Talk M-I-S-S, and I think we can all hope that Nick Saban doesn't decide to coach baseball in the SEC. He'll be the worst baseball coach to play for ever. You think he would win? Probably so, but out of fear, yeah. not out of like coaching ability. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. Got a bunch to get to uh, this afternoon. We're going to have uh, try to have a little bit of fun along the way, assuming that's okay with Greg and Nettleton. So are sure. we already doing this? Is he already? Oh, no, no, I just you know I, I'm sure he's with us, and uh, he gets mad when we try to have a little bit of fun, and then he says it's uh, not fun for everybody; it's just fun for us. Greg Richard brought did... a blowtorch to work today. Whew. Good lord! First <laughs> segment just torching coming people. out swinging. Uh, what's coming up this afternoon? Baseball front. Did Ole Miss get any help from hosting because of midweek results? Mark, you take me a little bit deeper on that. What did you see last night or on Tuesday night that you think helps Ole Miss's hosting chances? And it's probably very slim because, as we know, midweek games don't particularly matter, but you had the number 13 team in the country lose last night. You had the number 20 team, for whatever it's worth, in the country lose last night as well as Georgia, who's ranked 8th on Wednesday night, or I guess Tuesday night, you had LSU get blown out by Louisiana Tech. They're probably out of it. And NC State, who's number 19, also lost. So even though it's midweek and it's kind of splitting hairs, for Ole Miss hosting, anybody near them losing is good for them. Yeah, I guess I agree with that, uh, at least on the surface. The other part of it is the RPI, Ole Miss's RPI actually dropped a spot last night without playing a ball game because of some of what went on around them. They're at 18 Naturally. right now. Yeah, go go figure uh, how that, uh, that actually works. Aaron Fitt from Baseball America is going to join us a little bit later this afternoon. Baseball America released their regional projections. D1. Sorry, Aaron Fitt. For, I'm glad I did that with... Um, Without him on the radio right now. Aaron Fitt. He, he used to be with Baseball America. Yeah, I know. Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball will join us. We've got Baseball America's regional projections. We looked at the ones from D1 Baseball yesterday. Is Dak Prescott a $30 million a year quarterback? We will discuss. Also, spent some time yesterday looking at non-conference games for all 14 SEC teams. Some of them are pretty good. Some of them are hot garbage. Um, We'll take a look specifically at Mississippi State and Ole Miss's schedule this year, and we'll look at some potential swing games. What's the definition of a swing game? I mean, I guess you can have your own definition if you would like. For our purposes today, is there a game or two on the schedule that you think will help define the big picture for whatever you believe the season should be. There's an interesting spot on the schedule for me for Ole Miss. When you look at the schedule that the Rebels have this year, that I think is going to define really how the season turns out in 2019. 
Hey, Dad, you can be thinking about that for Mississippi State schedule as well. We will jump in and dive in and uh, look at all of that. We've got some dumb criminal news coming for you as well. And what would this week be without a look at the weather forecast? Ole Miss, Mississippi State scheduled to play in Oxford, a three-game series that begins tomorrow night. Currently, a thunderstorm chance, 80% chance of thunderstorms tomorrow in Oxford. 80% chance of thunderstorms on Saturday in Oxford, and then mostly cloudy on Sunday. Look, it may work out where this front kind of peters out or there's a break in the action and they can get a game in on Friday and get a game in on Saturday, but it just kind of feels like going into this weekend, you've got a a seven-inning doubleheader on Sunday that is more likely than not. Yeah. Nothing like a rivalry series determining a couple of host sites being decided by two seven-inning games. I love it. They should do it my way. But I did tell someone this last night. Like, I'm not a weather guy, but to your point, like, with all the rain in the forecast, it seems better. Like, like the fact that they're going to try to, like, play a game all three days seems highly unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we'll see. Maybe you catch a break uh, tomorrow. Uh, maybe the uh, the thunderstorms kind of blow through a little bit earlier and uh, you get a little bit of a break. We've gotten to the point where if you want to, you can go to the hourly forecast and kind of get a uh, an idea of what it's they think it's going to look like. Thunderstorms starting kind of middle of the afternoon at six thirty tomorrow night. There's a looks like about an eighty percent chance, eighty ninety percent chance of rain uh, that goes down a little bit, but not until late in the night. It doesn't look good. You know who knows? Maybe we're playing baseball tomorrow night uh, in Oxford. It just doesn't look real good right now. Does that favor one team or the other? I mean, my initial thought is a a pair of seven-inning games probably favors Mississippi State. But if you do play a pair of sevens, assuming you get one game in over the first two days somehow, some way, you're not going to have Ethan Small and JT again both throwing in a seven-inning game. Contest. Unless, right. hey, Dad, Chris Lamonis looks at it and goes, look, if we're going to try and squeeze one in in game one, and it looks like we've got a good, solid window to know that we're going to be able to get a full game in or a full couple of games in on Sunday, instead of rolling the dice with Ethan Small, I'm going to do something different. Could, could you see that happening? Well, they, they did it last week, but it was more about rest than anything else. But that said, if you can get a sure thing you're not going to play on Saturday, you're going to play Friday and then two on Sunday, it's not a terrible idea to, to maybe just hold small out for for, uh, for Sunday and then go uh, small again in those two seven-inning games. I would agree with that. and I would say probably the seven-inning game favors State slightly because even if it goes to Sunday, they've gotten more length out of Plumley than Ole Miss has gotten out of their Sunday starters. Yeah. Just slightly, but I don't think it's much of a difference. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see. Ole Miss, Mississippi State in Oxford. Southern Miss is at Rice this weekend for a three-game series in Houston. Question on the C Spire text line, school is out. Are they allowed to play a little bit later? Well, you will have to kind of see um, what the SEC is willing to sign off on. Sports Talk Mississippi, just getting started. Sports Talk Mississippi, good to be with you. On this Thursday afternoon, weekend just around the corner, just a rainy weekend around the corner. 
Ed and Ponatok, that seven-inning crap sucks. Come on, SEC office. I mean, I, I don't know that they can actually control the weather. Uh, there was a question that came in. School is out. Are they allowed to move a game to Monday? The answer to that is no. You've got three days to finish your series one way or the other, whether it's Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Friday, Saturday, Sunday. The one thing that the SEC office could potentially do is allow you to play later on Sunday, given the fact that there are no travel issues and school's out. And that seems like, if it came into play, would be a a common-sense decision. But even in that scenario, they're not going to allow two nine-inning games on the final day of the series. It still would be two seven-inning games. Um, all of that sounds accurate to you, hey Dad, with, with yeah. regard to kind of what what's out there. Yeah, I mean, the, it's just such a rigid thing with the SEC and how they, they they do the scheduling and what they will allow and and don't allow. And it, you know, especially for two teams that are separated by an hour and a half drive, you think there could you know be some wiggle room, but there just isn't. Yep, not any wiggle room. Not going to play on Monday. Not a regional setting, and uh, that's when the NCAA takes all over and uh, can make decisions like that. So it's uh, SEC rules right now. So that is what you are dealing with going into this weekend. So uh, some of the midweek results this week in the SEC and nationally make you wonder, Borky's point a little while ago, does this help uh, anybody that's trying to get into the hosting situation, any of the teams that are in a bubble scenario? I'll tell you who has, is helping themselves on almost a game-by-game basis, and that's East Carolina. They are up to number three in the RPI. You know who else that helps? Helps Mississippi State yeah, because they've got a win against East Carolina. I guess technically it helps Ole Miss as well in that they've got a loss to East Carolina, and that's not at all a bad loss. It's a high-quality loss, but it is a loss nonetheless. No, you you just like I'm sorry, Rippy. I thought you had something you wanted to say. No. UCF beats uh, Miami last night, uh, eight to seven. Yeah, I, look, I got this like big move the mic reaction, and he had like this look on his face where it's like he's something compelling to say. And I looked at him, and it was crickets. No, I just posted the transfer story or whatever, and then was. There'll be plenty of time to post transfer stories when you're living in a van down by the river. Good God. He started watching that at the break, didn't finish it, but he's at least kind of familiar now. We're going to help you get on the right track. My dad even texted me. He's like, how'd you not know that? I don't watch Saturday (laughs) Saturday night. I've never seen Saturday Night Live. Well, la-dee-da. That's great. 8-7 Eight to seven, UCF beat Miami. Miami is a team that is uh, kind of in the hosting conversation. Jacksonville State beats uh, Georgia. Georgia uh, by most still still projected as a national seed, but they're kind of kind of on the edge of that national seed conversation. Uh, on Tuesday night, Louisiana Tech beat LSU. NC State lost a game. Most recent RPI has Mississippi State at number four and Ole Miss at number eighteen. So the RPI, here's the interesting thing about the RPI. We've talked some about this. There have been years where it was 1 through 16. There have been years where it was 1 through 17 or 1 through 18, which is maybe one or two teams that aren't there. It's different this year. So when you start looking at the, the top 20 in the RPI, UCLA number one overall, 
Vanderbilt 2, East Carolina 3, Mississippi State 4, Arkansas 5. All five of those going to host, barring a collapse in the in the, the final two weeks of the regular season, they're all going to be national seeds. Georgia at 6, probably going to be a national seed. No guarantee, though, right now. you got Louisville at 7, Texas Tech at 8. They are on fire. Georgia Tech at 9, Tennessee at 10. Okay, let's stop at Tennessee for a second. Tennessee at number 10 in the RPI, but the Volunteers don't have anywhere close to a hosting resume when it comes to league record. They're 10 and 14 in the SEC. And they're not going 6 and 0 in the final 2 weeks to get to 16 and 14. If they do, they'll host. That's not going to happen though. 16 and 14 too is not a guarantee host. Yeah, but if you're 16 They're and 14 with an RPI of 8, you're going to be one of the 16 host sites. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Oklahoma State, going to be a host. UC Santa Barbara, probably not going to be a host. And a big part of the reason why is they've played maybe the worst schedule in all Division One baseball. And a little bit of hyperbole there, but not a lot. They've only got two games against the top 50 all season long. North Carolina at 13, probably. Miami at 14, probably. West Virginia at 15. They lost two of three at home this past weekend to TCU. Those were not great losses for West Virginia. Texas A&M at 16 in the RPI. Barring a really strong finish to league play, Texas A&M isn't going to host, despite being 16. Auburn at 17 in the RPI. They're 12-12 and 12 overall. Auburn's not going to host. Illinois at number 19, probably not going to host. So you look at teams like Ole Miss at 18, they could slide into one of those spots with a strong finish. Oregon State at 20, they could slide in. Stanford at 22 is a team that could slide into a host spot because they've been so good all season long. Does any of that mean anything? Is there anything from those RPI numbers that really jumps out at you? I wonder if Tennessee will be the highest RPI team never to not host. And I mean, and Tennessee, correct me if I'm wrong, there's probably an outside chance that they don't even make the tournament. And if they don't get some wins in these last couple weeks, that would be something. But other than that, I mean, it looks like it's going to fall into place pretty much down the line. We'll have to see, like I said, Oregon State is a team that could jump back into the mix. And then you know we'll see with Ole Miss. You know, and Ole Miss, Ole Miss and LSU are, are they, we agree that they're they're basically battling for the fifth SEC hosting spot, and whoever finishes stronger is going to get it. I think that's a reasonable argument. I I just think Ole Miss has got a, a better case than LSU. Oh, they do right now for sure, right for now. sure. But let they LSU go up to you know Arkansas and somehow win that series. And then, you know, things turn around a little bit. I don't know. Yeah. But then you're talking about if they win that series and, like, Ole Miss or State, like, I guess either way, is still in the thick of it for the West. I mean, not likely. But, yeah. like, if LSU wins that series, you're thinking at worst, State or Ole Miss, like both, whether you two, barring a sweep, is one or two games back of the West. So there's a, there's a world where they could probably both host. I just don't particularly like LSU's chances with the schedule they have left. They've got Arkansas this weekend, and then they close at home with. Is it oh, Florida? I knew this. No, no, no they it's play not Florida. Florida. It's uh, 
It's um. And we can double check on that in a second. This weekend, you Auburn, got it. I believe. Okay. LSU is at Arkansas this weekend. Tennessee's at Florida. So Tennessee's final six games are against Florida and Ole Miss. Texas A&M is at Alabama. Hugely important series for A&M. Georgia's at Auburn. Chance for Georgia to, to really stack up some wins on the heels of playing well and sweeping Florida last weekend. Certainly to win a series this weekend. Kentucky's at South Carolina. Missouri is at Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt just seems to keep on rolling. There's a really big opportunity there for Missouri this weekend. Then, of course, you got the series in Oxford with Mississippi State and Ole Miss. Baseball yeah, America's – sorry, go ahead. About all the, hey, we talked about all those midweek upsets. We didn't talk about – there was almost one in Starkville last night. We have not gotten to that yet. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Mississippi State fell behind 7-1, to one, just boom, right out of the gate. 7 nothing. Okay. Yeah, and then 7-1 after 1. And so – just, and then it was another, seven to four. What in like the third or fourth inning? Second, in the second inning, uh, Marshall Gilbert hit a uh, three-run home run, and that's that's what sparked MSU and got him back into the game. Uh, and then from there, they tied it up, took the lead, gave the lead back, and then in the bottom of the eighth, Elijah McNamee did what Elijah McNamee has done many times before. He got a big hit, two RBI double, and that was the final margin, ten to nine. But once again, another. Horrific midweek start. Keegan James couldn't even get an out. He gave up six runs. He walked four. State walked seven in the game. Uh, that that was the difference for for Memphis. State get, kept giving them free passes, uh, but again, State finds a way to uh, to come back and get get the win and remain undefeated in the midweek. Can you help me out on how it is that Mississippi State looked like they ran fourteen different Sandy Koufaxes out against Ole Miss in the Governor's Cup? I'm not seeing that red and blue, man. You know, that's all we focus on here in Starkville. Is what I was told by people, yeah. not you, but other people. I've heard people mention that as well. But seriously, I mean, given the the midweek pitching woes that Mississippi State has had, they absolutely stymied Ole Miss. And remember, the start of that game was Plumley, who's now moved for the weekends because he's he's played so well. Yeah. Look at Baseball America's uh, field of sixty four projection when we uh, when we come back. And um, get into some other stuff as well. An interesting baseball conversation that uh, uh, emerged on the internet earlier today as well. That's with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along on this Thursday. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey. Told you we would give you the Baseball America regional projections. Those came out last night, I think. Maybe sometime yesterday afternoon. Uh, like D1 Baseball, they've got UCLA as the number one overall seed. They have Ole Miss hosting, but in the last spot in the hosting, and so Ole Miss, the Oxford Regional, paired up with Los Angeles. Uh, not a bad draw for UCLA when they get Creighton as the two seed, UC Irvine as the three, and Nebraska-Omaha as the four. Probably a pretty good path to UCLA hosting a Super Regional at Jackie Robinson Stadium. Uh, Ole Miss as the one with NC State as the two, UConn out of the American as the three, and Bryant as the uh, four. Vanderbilt, the number two national seed, uh, paired up with Miami. They've got LSU in Miami as a two seed. 
Number three national seed is Arkansas, paired up with Oregon State, the number 14 seed. And Baseball America's got Tennessee going to Corvallis as a three seed. So that'd be big for Tennessee if they're able to pull that off. Uh, Mississippi State, the number four national seed, with Southern Miss as the two, Nebraska as the three, and Jacksonville State as the four. Jacksonville State beat Georgia last night in a midweek game. Now, granted, Jacksonville State was not facing Emerson Hancock or... Uh, as they would in game one of a regional, probably Ethan Small. Well, I doubt that. You doubt what? I doubt they face Ethan Small in the first game. Okay. Well, I, I'm actually glad I was going to ask you that. Um, we've not seen Chris Lamonis coach a, a regional team before. Do you anticipate that he would roll Ethan Small out for game one as their starter? You think he holds him? I think you would You would hold him there, and uh, you would go with Plumlee in game one. Really, that's what that's what I, that would make. Because I mean, i have always been a proponent of this. You know, you play, you have to play to win the regional, not just one game. Uh, you you got to. Th- I mean, if you can't beat the four C with your number three starter, you probably weren't getting out of the regional in the first place anyway. So play Plumley and then let Small go in the against the winner of two three, and then hopefully you have Gin to wrap it up in, in the last game. You got to um, help me remember two years ago. <coughs> excuse me in Hattiesburg. What did Mississippi State do from a pitching scenario? Because they had to go all the way to the extra game. Right. Was, was they, it Pilkington in game Pilkington one? Pilkington went game one and lost. They lost right. game one. And then they oh, – I'll have to get the numbers in front of me. But they, had to, they really had to piece it together there. They got the big start. They lost start the UIC Jacob. in game one, didn't they? Yeah, I believe that's right. I know Jacob Billingsley and Cole Gordon uh, had big big pitching performances there at the end of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it can come back to bite you and put you in the, the really difficult spot. Now, that was Mississippi State as a two seed, not as a one seed. Right, different st- scenario there. And the Starkville Regional paired up with the Stillwater-Oklahoma Regional, where Oklahoma State is hosting and Texas A&M is a two. Louisville, the number five seed, no SEC teams in their regional, paired up with the Waco-Texas Regional, Baylor the one, Missouri the two. Missouri's a scary team in a regional setting, aren't they? Yeah, because they, they've got a couple of pitchers who can win games. You know, they've got two guys they can roll out there, and they feel really, really confident about. And that's, you know, in, in a regional, you get two wins, and then you put yourself in the, with the winner's bracket, and then you can just throw everybody at them in a game three. Yeah, you get, you got some opportunities there. So, yeah, Missouri is a, is a very dangerous team in this postseason. Yeah, I mean, potentially seeing, like, Sycamore in a game two is pretty rough. I imagine, though, they'd probably, in a regional, throw them in the first game, maybe, but They've obviously shown this year they don't have to. Yeah. So that's a that's a pretty scary proposition. Georgia, the number six national seed, uh, paired up with the Chapel Hill, North Carolina regional. No SEC teams in Chapel Hill. Greenville, North Carolina. That's uh, East Carolina hosting as the number seven national seed with Auburn as the two, Clemson as the three, and Elon as the four. Paired up with the Lubbock, Texas regional. Uh, so no SEC teams in Lubbock. And then Stanford as the final national seed at number eight. And, again, that goes back to the RPI conversation we were having a little while ago. Projections with Stanford as a national seed, despite being number 22 in the RPI. How do you make that make they, sense? You can't, especially they don't have a ton of quality wins. I mean, they play in a tough conference, and you know that's about really all they have. For, you have for them on the resume. They've been good. 
Yeah. And they played three really close games with UCLA, lost that series. But that just feels like a little bit of a stretch for me. Number nine, Georgia Tech. Uh, hosting in Atlanta, no SEC teams there in Atlanta. The Charmin Soft Yellow Jackets. That's right. Soft. Question on the uh, the C Spire text line: What happened to Missouri having a postseason ban? Yeah, we we were wrong on that because they have an active appeal that has not been ruled on by the NCAA. They can play. Uh, it's the reason their softball team is currently in the SEC tournament, or yeah, and uh, is eligible for. Regional play. We'll see how long the whole appeal thing goes. I mean, theoretically, football for Missouri could play in a bowl game this year. Yeah. You would imagine they'll get an answer. Before. Well, precedent tells you they'll get an answer on an appeal before a bowl game would come about. Probably a dumb question. What was the difference between that and Ole Miss being ineligible? Ole Miss did a self-imposed bowl ban for yeah, the Ole first Miss year. Chose to go ahead, but and I'm do talking it. about this past year. Well, they were five and seven. Well, yeah, but you knew they weren't going to a bowl game, regardless of my point. Why would they have been eligible? What, wasn't if they the won appeal their appeal over with by yeah. now? But Missouri hasn't won their appeal. It had been but yeah, the, but the, the appeal, appeal was, was done. No, Ole Miss had gotten its. The appeal was done. The, everything was in was done by the end of football season, right? Right. Yeah. So. The final results had uh, come yeah, down, and I'm they upheld the, the ban. Yeah, that's right. I'm now, just getting a year mixed up. Now the year before. It was if Ole Miss had had, it was yeah. self-imposed that year. Okay. Um, yeah. Which has been kind of the argument in hindsight is, why would you self-impose a postseason ban? Temporary cooperation. Yeah. Louis, on the uh, C Spire text line, would Ole Miss not rather be a number two seed in a regional that's matched up with UCLA? That's not matched up with UCLA. Given that Ole Miss has never gone on the road in as a two seed, three seed, anything and won a regional, I'm going to say no, no. Oh, but even logically, w- without that history, you want to play at home for as long as you can. Yeah. Period. Just absolutely. I mean, you know, but both sides of that make a uh, make a lot of sense. Um. Football news. Hey, Dan, have you heard anything about this? The news kind of popped up yesterday, I think it was. There is a running back from Clemson who is transferring away. Tavian Foster has entered the NCAA Feaster. transferred. Say what? I'm Feaster. sorry. Feaster. Yes. Tavian Feaster has entered the NCAA transfer database and is traveling away. Or is going to transfer away from Clemson. Woody Womack from uh, Rivals.com is reporting that Alabama, Oklahoma, Texas, and others are potential landing spots. The others are Mississippi State, East Carolina, and Virginia Tech. So the tweet from uh, Rivals Woody was a close source, uh, a source close to Clemson grad transfer running back Tavian Feaster tells me the following programs have been in touch since he entered the transfer portal: Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Virginia Tech, Mississippi State. And East Carolina, Feaster will set up official visits soon. That'd be a good spot for him. State definitely needs some depth at the running back position. Does it say is he a grad transfer or is he just a transfer? I thought transfer, but what I just read was grad transfer. If he's a, a grad transfer, he's only got one year. It's not a great spot at Mississippi State because you know Kylan Hill's going to be the guy there. 
Um, if it's just a transfer, it would be fantastic for Mississippi State because you, know, you don't have a lot of depth next season right now. You've got Kylan Hill should be back for his senior year, and then you're going to be relying on, you know, I, I would assume Lee Weatherspoon's going to redshirt, but you just don't have a lot of proven depth there. So if, if it's just a transfer, I think it'd be a great move. If it's just a grad, if it's a grad transfer, I don't know that Starville's the best the best option for him at that point. It, it, gradu- graduating in August. Okay, then, yeah. The other thing is, as a running back, I don't know that Starville's the best option, period, because I haven't I haven't seen Joe Moorhead be able to use his running backs in a, a, a good fashion yet, so that's something else to consider. Well, what's so odd about that, though, is Saquon Barkley was a focal point for the offense I, at Penn State. I, I mean, I asked him about it a couple times at press conference, like, what what, what was the difference? And I get that Saquon Barkley is was an elite all-time player, and Kylan Hill I don't think is that, but... I mean, he's very, very good. He's good enough to be the focal point of your offense. Wouldn't Kansas State game evidence enough of that, too? You would you would have thought, but and he only had 12 carries in that game. He just put everybody on the field on his back and carried yes, them did. down the field. Yes, he did. Um, any of those schools make a lot of sense? Texas, Alabama, Oklahoma, Virginia Tech? Without knowing their running back situations, I mean they're, they're all good schools at least. Alabama for a grad transfer doesn't seem like the best that place make to make a lot go. of sense with Najee Harris and, and and those guys there. Sports Talk Mississippi is presented every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online you can find them at mslandbank.com. It's where they know the lay of the land. You hear me say that multiple times every single day, but uh, sometimes it feels like I should tell you what that means. If you're in North Mississippi. And you've got land financing needs of any kind, whether you need to buy a piece of property, you need to refinance an existing loan, maybe it's time to buy a tractor or another piece of equipment uh, for the property, or maybe you're building a country house, a house that's just outside the city limits a little bit, maybe doesn't quite conform to a conventional loan, Mississippi Land Bank can help with that. They've been financing land and all that goes with it for over 100 years. That is why they know the lay of the land. MS Land Bank. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and Brian Scott Rippey with you on this Thursday afternoon, weekend just around the corner. You have, what, one baseball game tonight in the SEC, and it's uh, it's a pretty good one. LSU at Arkansas to get their series started at Palm Walker Stadium in, uh, in Fayetteville. So that's how the SEC baseball weekend will get started. That's the only one being played tonight. Everything else... Get started tomorrow night. It feels like another one of those weekends where we're going to have to deal with weather issues, rain issues, kind of across the southeast. That one in Fable is a big one. Big series. Arkansas's last two series of the year are big. Yeah, and like they have some cushion. It's really like you're like subjectively arguing what's bigger. It's got to be LSU, though. Oh yeah, it's bigger. It's more important for LSU because Arkansas's got a little bit of cushion. The Razorbacks trying to win the West and stay in that national seed spot. LSU this weekend, and then Texas A&M the following weekend. I feel like they've got a better opportunity at home than they do on the road. Yeah, sure, but but in both of those teams that are playing like need victories in the worst way. Big time, big time. Um, C Spire text line is open six zero one eight seven nine four three nine five. You can text the show. Please don't text and drive. You might end up like David Beckham if you do. What am I talking about? I'll tell you a little bit later this afternoon. David Beckham not going to be behind the wheel of a car for a while because he couldn't put his phone down. Um, Borky, you like fair or foul, right? 
Yeah, that, I think so. That's new thing? I think I like it. All right, I'm going to steal your idea then. Dallas Cowboys Executive Vice President Stephen Jones says the team is off and running in contract talks with Dak Prescott and with Amari Cooper. Mentioned the design, uh, the desire to sign Ezekiel Elliott to an extension as well. Both Prescott and Cooper are in the final year of their contracts. Prescott a fourth-round pick in 2016, and so it was only a four-year contract. Mari Cooper was a first-round pick, so he had a fifth-year option and is expected or he's set to make $13.9 million this year. Prescott's actual salary for this year uh, set to be $2 million. Contract extensions for both players are expected to put them at or near the top of their position in terms of salary across the NFL, which means roughly $30 million for Dak Prescott and roughly oh, 16, 17, maybe $18 million for Amari Cooper. Fair or foul? Dak Prescott as a $30 million quarterback. Not only is it a foul, but it should be a five-minute major for for hockey terms. The the four best teams in the NFL last year are probably going to be the four best teams in the NFL again this year. I I would predict them to be the four favorites. And even you can throw in like an improved Colts team if you want to, but the teams that were last, the last four teams in the NFL last year, what do they all have in common? Expensive quarterbacks. The exact opposite. Team. What? What? You, you, you? I thought said you said last. The, you said last. No, the last four teams remaining in the NFL last year. So oh, the last four remaining. I thought you said the four that were last. Like no, when it was all no, said no, and no. Done. The last four teams remaining in the NFL all have quarterbacks on team-friendly deals. Now it helps that Jared Goff and Patrick Mahomes are on rookie deals. They're going to get paid. But when you look at the Patriots and their longevity of success. Tom Brady has accepted a salary that is far lower than he deserves, and Drew Brees has done the same thing. When you overpay for a quarterback that does not give you production, you end up with a Matt Ryan, with a Matt Stafford, a, a, a deal that is hamstrung you as a franchise, and you are unable to build a good enough roster to elevate that quarterback. Dak Prescott has not been bad in the NFL. His rookie year was one of the best rookie years in a long time for a quarterback. But he is not good enough to merit what a $30 million a year deal would do to the Cowboys. He needs pieces around him, and with Ezekiel Elliott coming off of a rookie deal, their brand new wide receiver is going to need to get paid very soon. That is a bad move for Dallas because he does not do enough for that team to warrant that kind of paycheck. Russell Wilson's the exact opposite. He elevates that team. I don't think Prescott is elevating the Cowboys enough to to justify a $30 million deal, and we'll look back at it in a few years and realize how big of a mistake it was for Dallas to do that. Well, the first problem with your your analysis of the the last four, you mentioned two of those QBs are on rookie deals. The other two are at the end of their career. They've made their money. This is Dak Prescott's first big contract. Brady has always had a team-friendly deal, always. But I'm just saying, Dak is not going to walk away from a big deal. He's going to get one, and I, you know, I've well, talked I'm not to people talking about Dak yeah, it's not, not it's taking not, it. I'm talking about the Cowboys giving it to him. The Cowboys yeah, are, are determined to make Dak Prescott the face of their franchise. Talking to people in the Cowboys organization, I've talked to a lot of beat writers in Dallas. 
they all say the same thing. Jerry Jones is enamored with Dak Prescott. He is going to do whatever it takes to keep him long term. And, and the question is if that's the right move or not. Not that they're going. Not that they're going to do it. They're clearly going to do it. But Borky's point is he's a good. He, Dak Prescott's a good quarterback in the NFL with the right pieces around him in good conditions. But when you pay, you don't need to pay any quarterback that much money. It hamstrings your franchise, particularly one that's somewhat limited as a passer. Well, I don't know how, how limited as a passer he is. He's been a good passer in the NFL. I feel like that's a an old narrative that that's goes goes back to his college days. I mean, he's 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 been very very good for the Dallas Cowboys. Um, at the end of the day, I mean, this is the Cowboys organization. They're gonna they're going to pay superstars big money. They always have. And Prescott has been to two playoff. He's had two playoff appearances. The team has not gotten better around him. Uh, for the most part, I mean, they, they've, they're not as good as they were when he was a rookie. That was a much better team. But best offensive I, line in football when he was a rookie. And when he was a rookie, yeah, and they sort of let that, you know, go to, go to disrepair. So, but that's not on Dak. I think Dak with the right pieces can be an elite quarterback in the NFL. And if, it, if that's the ceiling for him, then yeah, he's worth $30 million a year. Career numbers, 66% in the NFL. He's thrown for 3,300 or more yards in each of the three seasons. He's thrown for 23, 22, and 22 touchdowns. His interception numbers, four in his rookie season, 13 in year two. Last year, the INT number came back down to eight, so 22 and eight. See, I would go fair for Dak Prescott, but foul for the Cowboys. And, And my question would be, Hey, Dad, I agree with everything you say about what Jerry Jones is wanting to do. He, he looks around and he sees other franchise quarterbacks making tons of money, and he's not going to have his quarterback not getting paid when he believes he's got an elite quarterback in the NFL. That's what he believes. My question is, who are the Cowboys bidding against other than just the market in general? I mean, what what statement are you making when you say, "Hey, we just signed Dak to a uh, to a four year, hundred and twenty million dollar contract, or a five year, hundred fifty million dollar contract"? That that's great, but could you have signed him to a four year, hundred million dollar contract, or a five year, hundred twenty five million? You know, could could you have gotten by with doing twenty two million a year? Is that is that disrespectful to your franchise quarterbacks paying him? $5 million less than what the top guy in the league's paying, but still give him $25 million a year That's and give it. yourself a little more room to do some other things. What what would be wrong with that scenario? I thought Rippy had something to say. Go ahead if you do. But I, mean, I, I was just adding is that they, that's what they should do. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it from a financial standpoint. It may not make the most sense, but this is the Dallas Cowboys, man. They've been making decisions that don't make financial sense for three decades. Yeah, but they've got an opportunity to to correct that and lock up Amari Cooper, lock up Dak Prescott, and lock up Ezekiel Elliott and still have some money to to help the rest of the team versus tie up so much money with just the quarterback spot and hamstring you in some other places. I mean, it's possible, but at the same time, I won't be surprised if Dallas pulls this off. They've done it before. They've had the triplets before. Different league, obviously, different scenario. But I won't be surprised if, if at the end of all this, we're talking about Cooper, Elliott, and Prescott all remaining Dallas Cowboys on, on good deals. All right. A lot of reaction on the C Spire text line. 
We will get to your reactions to this question, and if you haven't sent it to us yet, send it to us now. 601-879-4395, C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired. We're going to talk with Aaron Fitt from D1 Baseball coming up about 20 minutes from right now on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team. Niles does point something out on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. You can't ever compare another quarterback to Tom Brady. He's an anomaly because his wife has a net worth of four or $500 million. More coming up in the Renaissance Bank studio. Right, the idea that Tom Brady has operated on food stamps as an NFL quarterback is a little bit misguided. He's the fourth highest paid quarterback in NFL history with $212 million going into this season. But, Borky, your point that his deals have been team friendly and have allowed New England to do some other things along the way to help the team are good. Rippy, you brought up an interesting point. Because we were talking in the break, and I said, don't you think that somewhere along the way Robert Kraft has said to Brady, you make it a little bit easier on us to do deals, we'll take care of you long after you're no longer playing football in New England. You don't buy into that? No, because that would have happened whether he took team-friendly deals or not. That happens to pretty much every favorite player in every franchise ever. I mean, like... And what are you really talking about? I mean, I guess that it's possible if he really wants... Like, I don't know what Tom Brady wants to do after football. Like, I don't know if it's an ownership stake, world's best massage parlors. I don't know what the guy prefers. <laughs> I don't know what he wants from Kraft. Like, but I, I feel like that would have happened regardless of of take whether he took team-friendly deals or not. The, really, this argument is not necessarily as much about Dak Prescott as it is the model of paying quarterbacks this gigantic amount of money and handcuffing yourself. It's Aaron Rodgers. It's Atlanta with Matt Ryan. It's Detroit with Matt Stafford. They don't have pieces to to go build around them. And if it hasn't worked for Aaron Rodgers and it hasn't worked for Matt Stafford, Dak Prescott certainly needs pieces around him to be as successful. So I don't know why you'd do it here. All right, some of your reaction on the C Spire text line. Sometimes you give fans what they want. The how, da- how much money are the fans seeing out of this? Well, no, I understand that, but the Dallas Cowboys want to see the Dallas Cowboy fans want to see their quarterback as one of the top paid quarterbacks in the NFL. I'm sure they do, but at the same time, they will want him out of town if they don't make the playoffs next year. I mean, it, it's that Jekyll and Hyde with NFL fans. Yeah, they want to win games. Here's another response. Y'all hit a nerve with Hey Dad. George in West Point says if Dallas would recruit some linemen and receivers that can actually do their jobs, maybe Dallas could have a better outcome. Dak cannot win by himself. You know what you have to have to get better linemen and receivers? Cap flexibility. Novel concept. Uh, Preston says, Hey, Dad will not speak negatively of Prescott. We should know this by now. <laughs> I need to find the Ole Miss fan who will speak positively about him, and then we'll be even. Well, I speak positively about Dak Prescott. I know. I wasn't talking about you. You are playing the role of the unbiased observer here. You're doing a great job of that. I'm not, I'm not talking about you. He's a good quarterback. It's just it's 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 more the argue it's more the the construction of your team argument than it is Dak Prescott in yeah. my opinion. It, not saying he he's not a thirty million dollar quarterback. It's not saying he's bad. I'm not talking about you guys either. Well, 
No, I was just You're saying it like for the sake of the argument. Like, yeah, uh, to go along with the text line. Right. Uh, if Dak would do something like Russ did and buy his lineman stock, then it could turn into a family-friendly <laughs> deal, team-friendly as well. <laughs> Uh, see, to me, this is the most important question. This comes from the 731 area code. Where is that? Would, I, I'm, I'm not sure. Would any other NFL team offer him that same contract? I heard somebody argue this on a podcast, and it was a great point. If Dak and his agent are just, they, they want to be in the $30 million range, just let him test the free agency market. Because you won't get a Rick, give Dak the Ricky Williams Saints contract. Does that mean you have to give away six first round draft picks? In some ways, with that argument, the what Borky's talking about is kind of comparable to the Baker Mayfield thing with the Browns. It's like like saying it was dumb to draft a number one overall is not saying he's a bad quarterback. They just could have had him at whatever pick. I forget what the second pick they had in the first round is. It's kind of the point. It was like no one behind you was going to pick him. It's kind of saying to Prescott, if no one else is going to pay him that level of money, why should the Cowboys? David and Socher, you can't get elite talent around any $30 million man. And I think Seattle is going to learn that the hard way. Russell Wilson elevates his franchise, but they just lost their best receiver. I know they drafted DK Metcalf, but they just lost their best receiver. They had one of the worst offensive lines in football. There's no pieces there, and now they've got to pay Russell Wilson $35 million. Uh, where where do you build around him? And he is exceptional. He's a Super Bowl winner, and he elevates bad players around him. David in Oxford, if I'm a quarterback in the NFL, I say pay me $20 million and spend $10 million more on getting me an elite front five. Rippy actually made a good point a second ago when we were in the break. He said, how much of the value of Tom Brady is wrapped up in the fact that he's got six Super Bowls and is the greatest quarterback of all time? And how much of him winning those six Super Bowls comes from the pieces that are around him? So, yeah, he's taken less money along the way than the market dictates he should have gotten, but does it pay off for him in endorsements and post-professional career opportunities because he's the greatest that's ever played? Yeah, and this is isn't this kind of an NFL problem though, because like the NBA has the max contract slots or whatever, and so like they, it's set up to a point to where the guys that play probably the hardest position in professional sports are having to take like less than what their the market values them at in order to win. Yeah. Like it probably shouldn't be set up that way, right? It probably shouldn't, but at the same time, in basketball, you need two guys. I mean, in Cleveland, LeBron's championship. He needed one other guy, one real other guy to make it work. In football, obviously, you need a lot more than just one other guy. Yeah, that's true. Um, How about this? Prescott elite? you got to be kidding me. He's not even close to elite. I can name ten quarterbacks right now. I'd take over him. He's a system quarterback, needs help to win. He says Brady, Breeze, Big Ben, Mahomes, Luck, Goff, Rivers, Wilson, Ryan, and Rodgers. And that doesn't count guys like Mayfield, Foles, and Watson. He's barely in the top half of the NFL quarterbacks. I wouldn't call him a system quarterback per se. And, and I want a list of the quarterbacks who don't need help to win. They're just going out there and just doing it all by themselves. It's literally just like, I mean, it's Rodgers, kind of Wilson. He has some help, but it's it's literally like two guys. Like, it's two yeah. just generational transformation 
talents. Like Rodgers with the arm and Russell Wilson's accuracy and mobility. Like you have to be a generational talent for that to apply to you. So. I love this. Seven three one is the Buford Pusser area code. Ah. West Tennessee. Jackson, Tennessee, a little bit west of that area as well. Somebody said the um, Saints would pay thirty million for Dak in a heartbeat. I've got some real estate, some some oceanfront property to sell you in Arizona, buddy. <laughs> I wouldn't pay that. Uh, Larry says he's a diehard Ole Miss fan. He says regardless of whether or not you like Dak, he's a great player and he deserves everyone's respect. I, I don't think anybody is arguing that. Uh, Schaefer in Canton asked if Haydad is a Democrat. <laughs> I don't know what that has to do. I don't know that applies if here hey at Dad's all. arguing that, hey Dad, take, hey, that Prescott take as much money as it could possibly give him. I don't really get that reference. Yeah, but. I mean, that would be more of a capitalist take, which uh, would seem to fall more on the right side, wouldn't it? You would think. but Yeah, I mean, it's great for Dak if he can get it. I hope he does. Getting paid sounds like fun. But if you're Dallas, you should probably try to be careful. Um... Chris and Laurel, maybe you're asking the wrong question. Is it Belichick or Jason Garrett? That's a big, uh, that's that's a, a big part of it. How about a wide gulf between those two? Wait, what? It, with regards to what? Like, what do you mean? Um, about who's the better coach? Well, yeah, but I mean, in I, I guess the point that he's making, or maybe the question that he's asking, is if Bill Belichick had Dak Prescott, what would he do with him? Versus if Jason Garrett had Tom Brady, what would he do with him? It's kind of a trick question because wouldn't Belichick be forced to ship Dak to San Francisco for the 41-year-old quarterback at the time? (laughs) Well, I mean, you know, Matt, I mean, Belichick did win, what, 11 games with Matt Castle? So, I mean, I don't think that there would be a a big drop-off there. Look, I I I think I'm not saying Dak Prescott would win six Super Bowls. I'm just saying they'd still be a playoff team. It's a pretty good point from Chase and Amory, and this is kind of where we started a little bit. He says, Dak was what he was his first year because he had the best offensive line in football. Pay the offensive line the money they deserve. Their line made Elliott and Prescott, and that's a good point because not only did Dak Prescott have good numbers and he was very efficient, it was kind of late in that year before they opened him up a little bit, that was the most productive season we've seen out of Ezekiel Elliott. He stayed out of trouble. He stayed on the field. He was incredibly productive. But again, not only was Dak Prescott protected with time to throw and as a result had very few interceptions that year, those were, those guys were road graders for Ezekiel yeah. Elliott up front. They really were good. They really were good. In 2016. Let me ask you all this just because I, I, don't, I don't know the answer. But Amari Cooper, is he worth Julio Jones kind of money? Is he that to good? Dak Prescott, is he not? Because there's Dak Pre- No, 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 I'm not changed. saying that. To Dak Prescott, yes, but is he in that absolute top tier? Oh, probably not, but if Dak's your quarterback and as well as that worked and as, as much as that enhanced him, I'd probably pay him. Is they, more, they, okay. they got crushed for the trade at the time, and it turned out to work. It did work out well. very well. Yeah. Is Amari Cooper a top five receiver in the NFL? Ooh, that's a good question. Yeah. Probably no, but that doesn't mean he's not really very good. Is he worth top five receiver money? To Dallas, probably. Richard just created the new Is Joe Flacco Elite? Is Amari Cooper top five? Sports Talk Mississippi. Coming up next, we'll talk some baseball with Aaron Fitt from D1. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi on this Thursday afternoon, rolling into a, uh, a big weekend. 
this the uh, the penultimate weekend of uh, the SEC regular season? Pretty good series that are out there as well. Aaron Fitt joins us from uh, D1 Baseball, D1Baseball.com. Aaron, appreciate a few minutes of your time this afternoon. Get the weekend started uh, tonight in Fayetteville with LSU and Arkansas playing game one of, of their three-game series. How do or die is this weekend for LSU in terms of potentially still being a host? Yeah, it's definitely important. You know, after uh, after losing that home series to Ole Miss last weekend, I think they're in a position where, um, you know, if, if they can get to, to 17 wins in conference, I still kind of like their chances. So that means this isn't necessarily a must-win uh, because they get a home series at Auburn the following week. I think they probably need to go 3-3 three and three in those two weekends to get to that 17-13 and 13 mark. Um, because they still have some other good things going for them. You know, they're, they're still, I think, 16 and 12 against the top 50, which compares pretty favorably to most of the other hosting candidates in this range, including, you know, the A&Ms and the Auburns and the Missouris even uh, in the SEC. They're kind of maybe trying to jostle for position to host. So uh, LSU is probably ahead of those teams in the pecking order. The fact that they're 14 and 10 in the league already gives them a little bit of breathing room. Uh, I think they just need to not get swept in Fayetteville and then win that series the last weekend, and I think they got a decent shot to host. There was some discussion going into last weekend that um... – and I know this isn't 100% accurate, but that LSU and Ole Miss were kind of playing for a host spot last weekend. Do you buy into that idea, or is there room for both of them to be regional hosts? Yeah, right now we've got both as hosts. LSU is our, our 16th and final host, but right. Um, but right now I, I think that they, they both are. And you know, for Ole Miss, it was maybe more of um, an elimination game last weekend for for a host spot. I mean, they had a little bit more work to do, but now they're now they're sitting pretty. You know, after you um, you win that series, so you know the SEC is just so deep this year that I, we're going to see you know probably four national seeds out of the league and, and probably six or seven hosts. So um, that's you know it seems like that's becoming par for the course for this league. What what is the role that midweek games play? Uh, and, and maybe there would be three examples here. Mississippi State has absolutely mopped up in the midweek. They've only got one non-conference loss all season long, and they've not lost a midweek game. Ole Miss, a little bit different story. They've uh, they've had some trouble. They lost a midweek game to Mississippi State. They've lost one to, uh, to Southern Miss. They've got some non-conference losses as well. How much do those matter, or is it more about what you do on the weekends? Well, I think it's still more about what you do on the weekend, but that stuff does all play into it, and especially – when you're looking at, at broader trends. You know, a team like Mississippi State that has been dominant midweek, and, and the same goes for UCLA. I don't think they've lost the midweek game yet. Um, that's part of the reason why they're sitting pretty in the RPI. You know, I mean, yeah. Mississippi State's number four, Ole Miss is 18. I think midweek performance plays into that, um, you know, because those extra seven wins that Mississippi State has in the overall win column makes a big difference, you know, uh, for your for your overall winning percentage. Uh, it's part of the RPI formula and just for overall perception of, of, of a team's uh, quality. So, yeah, I mean, it all t- takes kind of a cumulative effect. I mean, I would say on a week-to-week basis, we don't put too much stock in any individual midweek game, but when you look back at the whole body of work, uh, it, it does play into it for sure. And I guess that would be part of the conversation with LSU as well. I mean, they have the loss to Louisiana Tech. They have a loss to Southern earlier in the year. That's part of the reason that, that LSU still got work to do, right? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're right. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, is those midweek games can present a real opportunity for 
mid-major to to make some noise in the RPI. You know, if, if you're in um, the Southland Conference or something and you don't get a lot of chances to, to play those really good RPI teams, you got to make the most of it in the midweek. And, you know, that doesn't mean those teams are, are holding their aces for a Tuesday game against LSU. Most of them don't do that, uh, not these days. But uh, it does mean that, you know, those games really matter to those teams because it gives them a chance to make a splash. Whereas if you're the SEC team, you really just need to kind of hold your own the best you can. Pretty uh, pretty big series in Oxford this weekend with Ole Miss and Mississippi State. Not sure how much Mother Nature is uh, is going to cooperate. Uh, what what's the how, how do you gauge? Uh, I don't know. Maybe the the most important parts of this weekend. Obviously, there there's more to gain there for Ole Miss maybe than there is for Mississippi State to lose. But when when you look at this series, what are you looking at? Well, I think it's just a great matchup, first of all, between two really good teams. I mean, you know, I've been high on Ole Miss all year long, even though, you know, they've been a little bit up and down, maybe haven't been as consistent as I'm sure Rebel fans would like, but uh, I love their talent, and uh, especially in the lineup. I think both these teams have elite offensive talent, um, and so I'll be curious to see how the arms do against those offenses, and uh, certainly in Ole Miss's case, that's probably the bigger question mark. I think Mississippi State's pitching has certainly been more consistent this year than, than Ole Miss's pitching has been. So, you know, how are how is that Ole Miss bullpen going to fare uh, as they get into the late innings against Mississippi State? Um, you know, will, will Etheridge and Nikhazy and, and Hoagland, you know, will they be able to, to hold those guys at bay? Um, I feel pretty confident that Ethan Small is going to do his thing like he does every week. He's one of the best pitchers in the country. Um, for Mississippi State, and, and, and certainly J.T. Ginn has been awesome as well almost all year long. So uh, I kind of feel like the pitching edge goes to Mississippi State, but you know, home field thing goes to Ole Miss. So it's going to be a really compelling series, I think. What are you doing with Tennessee at this point? Yeah, they've got a fascinating case um, because they're, they're still sitting there at number 10 in the RPI, you know, which you right. would think – that makes them what, like a host or maybe even a national seed. But of course, you look up and they're they're ten and fourteen in the league. Um, and, and generally speaking, SEC teams, you know, really would like to get to that fourteen and sixteen mark in conference to feel good about their at-large chances. Um, I think in Tennessee's case, if, if they can get to thirteen and seventeen and keep that RPI where it is around ten, which I think they will, uh, I think they'll get in at that point. Um, but uh, you know, they probably need to win their last two series. In order to you know to, to feel really secure, uh, but but you know they have more leeway than a team like like Florida. You know if, if Florida can get to 13 and 17, they're probably still in, in trouble because their RPI is down there at 32, um, and 32 is fine if you got a winning conference record. It's not fine if you're if you're 13 and 17. So I do think that Tennessee is in a little bit of a rare position because that RPI is so good, and, and they have some nice wins, 13 13 wins against the top 50, um, which is which is a pretty solid mark. Aaron, this year feels a little different to me. There, there are seasons where you could pretty much take that one through sixteen in the RPI and go, okay, those are your seeds, and you know, probably eight of the top ten are going to be your national seeds. It may shake out that way, but this year feels a little bit different because when you look, you've got Tennessee there at number ten, who's probably not going to be a host, and you've got UC Santa Barbara, who I don't think is going to be a host when this is all said and done, and West Virginia is kind of hanging on the edge, and Texas A&M at 16, as it looks right now, is not going to host, and Auburn at 17 is not going to host. So what are we to do with this? How far down into the RPI are we going to go to fill out the 16 host spots? 
Well, I think certainly the Pac-12 is going to get three hosts, barring something unexpected, even though uh, Oregon State and Stanford have kind of dipped in the RPI. I mean, those two teams are, are 17-4 and four in the pack. You know, they're tied for first place right now. Uh, so even though Oregon State's 20 in the RPI and Stanford's 22, and you look at Stanford, they're only 2-2 two and two against the top 50, and you're thinking, where are the quality wins? Uh, I still think the fact that those teams have been so good and so consistent all year long, especially Stanford, you know, they're 35-8. They're and eight. Um, I, I think... With the, with the way they performed in conference, they're still probably going to wind up hosting. And, you know, in Stanford's case, they've got opportunities down the stretch for, for some quality wins. They've got three straight series against top 50 teams, and um, they can make some noise in the RPI as well. I don't expect their RPI will finish there. So when the dust settles, I, I kind of think Oregon State and Stanford are both going to be in the top 16 in the RPI anyway. Uh, but, but right now, as you look at it, those are teams that are outside that top 16 that I think are probably going to host. And, um, you know, we talked about Ole Miss and LSU at 18 and 23 in the RPI. Um, still think those RPIs have, have, have room to, to climb as well. So, um, you know, when, when the dust settles, don't be surprised if, if it winds up being all teams that are in the top 18 or so. Uh, I don't think there's a real deep dark horse in the 20s or 30s, except for maybe Baylor, um, which is okay. 27 right now, and they're, they're in first yeah. place in the Big, 10, uh, Big 12. Aaron Fitt on your radio from D1 Baseball. Got about a minute left, Aaron. How many SEC teams? I was having this conversation with uh, with a colleague earlier this week. How many SEC teams could legitimately win it all if they get to Omaha? That's a fun question. Um, I, I think certainly Vanderbilt, Mississippi State, and Arkansas look like three of the front runners. And okay. for me, I think Vanderbilt and Mississippi State are in the top tier with, with UCLA. Um, I would agree I, with I that. Still, I still would have Arkansas just a tick behind that top tier just because you know, two freshmen in the weekend rotation, and you know we just don't know how freshmen are going to hold up in June. I mean, there's a long track record of, uh, of those guys kind of tiring down a little bit. But uh, that said, Arkansas is really good, and they've had a great year, so they're certainly a contender. Georgia, with, the, with their pitching and defense, I would put in that, that second group with Arkansas. Um, I, I think, especially if Emerson Hancock is healthy when it matters, I mean, they're really elite when it comes to run prevention. So uh, I think those four teams could all win it all. And, and you know what? I think Ole Miss could win it all. Um, you know, if they if the pitching holds up, I mean, I told you I love that position player group. I love the experience of the roster. For me, that's kind of a national title dark horse right now heading into the home stretch. It's going to be really uh, a fun couple of weeks as we wrap up the regular season, get to the SEC tournament, and roll into uh, postseason play. Aaron, look forward to talking to you more over the next few weeks. Thanks so much, my friend. My pleasure. Aaron Fitt, D1 Baseball. Tomorrow on In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, in honor of Mother's Day, you'll hear an interview with Steve Azar's mom, Ergie Azar, her incredible story. That's In a Mississippi Minute with Steve Azar, Thursdays and Fridays, 1 to 2, on most Super Talk Mississippi stations. Also, tomorrow, you can join the JT Show live at Carter Jewelers from 10 until 1 for great Mother's Day savings. That's the JT Show at Carter Jewelers on High Street in Jackson tomorrow. And no Will East texting your mother, HMD, will not suffice. I got lumped into that too. Our friend Jason, I think that mistook that for my voice, and he, he was did. like, "Come on, man!" I was he like, did. That, that wasn't me. He told you to get off your rump and do something nice and go see see your mom on Mother's Day. He's like, "Whoa, that was Will. Yeah, I, that was Will East. I'm a good son." Uh, Sports Talk Mississippi is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank. 
or they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs, then you should reach out. If you're in North Mississippi to the good folks at Mississippi Land Bank, they've got branch offices all over the northern part of the state of Mississippi. You can catch them in their corporate location in Senatobia, branch offices in Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola in the Delta, Corinth, Tupelo in northeast Mississippi, New Albany, Starkville over in the eastern part of the state, uh, east-central Mississippi, I guess you would say, and then Kosciuszko and Louisville as well. Whatever it is that you need, Mississippi Land Bank can help, whether it's a real estate loan, a crop uh, loan, improvement loan for the land, maybe you're going to build a country home, or an agribusiness loan, Mississippi Land Bank has been financing land and all that goes with it for over 100 years, and so they know the lay of the land. We're glad to have you along this afternoon. Ceasefire text line is open, 601-879-4395. It's time right now for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out about the pride that Ford has in every car, truck, and SUV that they make. It's uh, because of the pride that they have in their work that they've had the best-selling truck in America for 42 consecutive years. Well, the pride and also the fact that it's just an awesome truck. Fantastic driving truck, the F-150. Test drive one today and find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. Top 15 matchup coming up starting tomorrow in baseball in Oxford. A nationally relevant series, postseason implications. Borky has a question for you as it pertains to football. Yeah, so how can or can the Egg Bowl become what we're about to watch this weekend? Nationally relevant on a consistent basis. Good atmospheres as well for whatever it's worth but a marquee, nationally relevant matchup outside of it being a rivalry game. In football. Okay. The Egg Bowl is a football game only. It's a good point you make there, uh, Captain Borky. <laughs> Chief. <laughs> um, how can the football game be as, as significant, as relevant nationally, as the baseball series this weekend. Well, I've got a novel thought. Okay. Not being solely focused on tearing each other's schools down when they become relevant. Like, remember 2014-15? Egg Bowls were kind of fun. But, like, it seems the focus to be is too much on each other than, you know, national relevance. That's a fascinating point because baseball doesn't seem to be that way. Baseball's different. Well, yeah. Baseball is different. Well, I, I I I don't disagree with you at all. I mean, fundamentally and on on so many different levels. Is there anything to that, Hayden? I don't know. Uh, I've I've never been a big believer that both programs can be successful over the long haul at the same time. Uh, you know, fourteen and fifteen was a, a two year stretch, but I I don't know that that can it can happen long term. To be honest with you. When you've had 60-something-plus years of irrelevancy as a rivalry, except for a couple of years, you might want to try something different. No, I, I mean, I'm not, saying that you're, I'm not saying that your idea is wrong. I'm just saying I don't know if it's possible. Does it not feel like Alabama and Auburn coexist better than Ole Miss and Mississippi State? 
Well, I don't know. You had an Iron Bull thing where someone got shot not too long ago. Yeah, but that, that's that's crazy people. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, he's talking institutionally. Okay. With, with actual stakeholders involved. But you can do that when you're Alabama and you're you're winning national titles. And, and then and Auburn's won a national title and has been more relevant. You know, when you when all you have is each other sometimes, that you know, that's that's where the focus is. Yeah, but does not getting past the idea that all you have at each other, is that not the first step to becoming more relevant? I mean, if you don't look at yourself differently, is anybody else going to look at you that way? Well, I see what you're saying, but then, you know, the, the steps two through five might be some stuff that's unattainable. So then you just get back to step one. You know, State, State and Ole Miss don't have Alabama and Auburn's money. They don't have their tradition. They don't have their fan support. They don't have their recruiting base. While those things are relevant, they also sound like excuses. Well, I mean, excuse like, always, like just really convenient excuses for oh yeah, well that's why we can't be them. Well, I, like I, I don't said, disagree. I got, that, I got a hundred years of college football that works as evidence for me. No, I'm with you. I don't disagree necessarily that Ole Miss and Mississippi State can't necessarily be Auburn and Alabama on a year-in, year-out basis. But I think there's something to the idea of if so much of your time wasn't spent on looking across the way to see what the other's doing and how can we tear them down, there might be something to that. And on that point, like if they didn't learn their le- the two schools didn't learn their lesson in 2014 when they were both nationally relevant and the sole focus was each other's recruiting tactics, it's probably never going to happen. We're being totally honest. Um, Borky, what what what's your thought? Uh, I I made six points that that I've I thought of and listed out. A couple now, of you them can are... never be a preacher. Can't be a preacher. Only three points for a preacher. Oh, well, that's fine. I've got six. Um, and I'll run through them quickly. One is efficiency. Even though Ole Miss and Mississippi State make more money than they ever have before, they still don't make as much money as LSU and Alabama. So when they spend their money, they have to do so efficiently. Yeah, no dub, but at the same time, you cannot take financial risks or anything like that. You have to maximize every dollar you make because even though your budgets are bigger and you didn't add any sports, you're still below the LSU and the Alabamas of the world. So efficiency financially, and that includes um, NCAA penalties and trying to avoid them, uh, you have to be more efficient and and maximize your dollar. Uh, The second one is an extraordinary commitment from fans. Because there are fewer of you, because the state is smaller and the schools are smaller, and within the state you share it with another SEC team, you have to go above and beyond what Alabama and LSU fans have to do for their school. You have to buy tickets. You have to go to every game. You have to donate more money per capita to elevate uh, your program's success. The fans have to be extraordinary because there's just simply fewer of you than the other schools. The, the next one is the obvious one, hire the right guy. You cannot do what Alabama is going to do when Nick Saban retires, which is either hire Dabo Sweeney or an already successful, nationally relevant, well-known head coach. You've got to identify an offensive coordinator who's won a national championship or a head coach at a group of five school who's been successful. The formula is there to hire the right guy because once you get him in, you have the financial capital to keep them at your school for a long time. Hugh Freeze was making top ten money. Dan Mullen was making top twenty money. So the schools can afford to get them 
once they get there. we got to identify that guy first. Uh, the next one is obvious as well. Keep Mississippi players within Mississippi and elevate your national profile elsewhere. So Georgia, Alabama, even LSU now at this point are recruiting in such a way where they're not dependent on players in their state anymore. So you can go into Alabama, you can go into Georgia, you can go into Louisiana and Texas occasionally and get an overlooked, really talented player because the schools in that state are, instead of getting the four-star running back in Georgia, are getting the five-star running back from Maryland, for example. Uh, So keep your players within your state and develop your national profile by taking advantage of schools like Georgia who are recruiting away from their state because they can. The next one is facility upgrades. Vaught-Hemingway Stadium looks like seven different stadiums molded together. The Palmero Center is shared with baseball. Everybody else in the SEC is building every year. Find a way to do the same. And the last one, play the game in recruiting. What game is that you're talking about? Offering competitive academic packages for your players so they can come and study. No, your boosters have to do what boosters do, and they have to win booster battles. Because Georgia and Auburn and other schools are coming into your state and winning booster battles, you have to fight back and do the same. And then not rat each other out. Also true. It's like two kids telling on each other in kindergarten. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. We'll carry this over if we need to. Hey, Dad, get uh, your thoughts if you want to wrap this up when we come back as well. Sports Talk Mississippi on a Thursday. So the College Football Fix is brought to you by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Michael Borky's points on how Ole Miss, Mississippi State, the Egg Bowl, and football could consistently feel like this weekend's baseball matchup are efficiency, a massive commitment from the fans, making sure you've got the right head coach, keeping the best players in Mississippi in the state, upgrading facilities, and not just on a one-off, and pay the players under the table with cash. I kind of ad-libbed the uh, the last part. Well, but that's... The last part is the most important part, though, with yeah. cash. Mm-hmm. Yep. Or getting your parents' jobs or, you know, funneling money through a hospital charity, whatever it takes. What do you think? Hey, Deb. It's not possible. (laughs) It's just not. You're never going to have the Egg Bowl on a year-in, year-out basis be up there with the Iron Bowl, Michigan, Ohio State. Well, it doesn't have Uh, to be that, but nationally relevant. A game that people that aren't from here will pay attention to. I mean, if you're telling me, see, I, I, I guess I'm not understanding what you're saying. Nationally, I mean, people are going to pay attention no matter what. People paid attention in 2014 and 2015, but it's annually to be, a top 25 matchup. Yeah, because last year nobody cared. Two years ago nobody yeah. cared. Yeah. So something uh, that every year it's well the Egg Bowl's on. I'm going to watch it because generally those two teams are pretty good and it's a pretty good game. Not the sideshow of not shaking hands and all that crap that happened a couple years ago. Not that stuff. Waving, all of that. But a game that people will watch because it's a football game that has two teams that have players and that are winning. It doesn't have to be Ohio State-Michigan. It's, it's just difficult. You want the, the real answer then maybe for this? 
move it from the last week of the season? Because the last week of the season, if it's on Thanksgiving, it's up against a, a, an NFL game, which you know the Latin these this year and last year was a Saints game. So the South, where most people who would want to watch this game are, are taken away. And then if you put it on Saturday, I mean, it's up against the Iron Bowl. It's up against those big rivalry games we talk about. You know, it, it's it's the the sort of the last dog at the bowl when it comes to TV ratings. Do do you consider moving it? I think that since 1991, prior to last year, so 91 is when the game moved back on campus. Prior to last year, I had missed only one Egg Bowl that I can remember. And it was because I was doing a women's basketball tournament. Um, And then I missed this past year. And for a big part of my life in which I've been watching the game, it would have felt like absolutely the end of the world to not get to watch that football game in person, be on the sideline, be in the stands, be in the press box, wherever, but to be there and feel it and soak it all in. I didn't miss it at all this past year. And it has absolutely, please don't, it has nothing to do with the final score. I've seen big wins, I've seen big losses, I've seen close games, all that stuff rolled into one, and I've always loved the feel of the Egg Bowl. I didn't like it two years ago in Starkville. Ole Miss won that game. I didn't like it. I didn't like how it felt before the game. I didn't like how it felt during the game. I didn't like some of the crap that Ole Miss pulled that night. And I didn't miss it for a second a year ago. And that stinks. I don't want that to be the case. I want to feel like you can't wait for that ball game. It doesn't feel like that to me anymore. Maybe because the stakes aren't as high? I I don't know. Does that make any sense to anybody else? Am I like out on an island of one by myself? The childishness and juvenile nature of it became nauseating. Is what yeah. you're trying to say? And I haven't been. I've only. This is year nine yeah, of me be. living here, but it feels like it's become a sideshow. I grew up in a state with a, an interstate rivalry, and I just did not ever get this kind of vibe that we've gotten lately yeah. from Clemson and South Carolina. And those are two teams that brawled on the field within two decades. Yeah, and that was that was ridiculous in that game. Hey, Dad. Obviously, there have been fights through the years. But even in the years where you had a pregame fight, maybe I'm just not remembering. But it felt like once the game started, it was football. Yeah. And we've gotten away from that. 97, you know, you had the pregame fight, but then once the game started, it was just the game. and then It was just the game. There was a fight in the middle of the 90 Egg Bowl in Jackson. Um, yeah, that was like melee, right? Oh, that was big time. <laughs> yeah, I was at that one for sure. Um, you know, part of it, I think, is this, and, and the, of why it's gotten the way it is, and it's it's social media. When I was a kid, the only Ole Miss fans I knew were my friends, the guys I went to high school with, the guys who I played sports with. They were my friends. So we would talk smack, but it was good-natured. But now you go on Twitter, and there's somebody you don't know who probably is either – you know, got a, a Twitter handle that doesn't have their name and then have their picture, and they're just railing your school constantly. I mean, it irritates people, and so it, it's that spills over. 
you know, all the, 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 the recruiting stuff spills over. And that's the other thing. You talked about keeping recruits in state and all that. Never mind that, you know, I have a, a long theory. I've done a couple podcasts on that about how the top ten recruits in this state year in and year out more likely to bust than not. But when you're Auburn and Alabama, you know, yeah, you get a few guys from Alabama from the state, but, you know, for the most part you're going to get guys from outside the state. And for State and Ole Miss, they're trying to get these elite guys in the state. It's just so contentious. You know, there, there's probably a few kids that's not with Alabama that Auburn really wasn't that hard after. Probably the same way on the other side of that. But for State and Ole Miss, they're after everybody at the same time, and it, it just leads, it breeds contentiousness. To the juvenile part of it too is like the way you act is the way you get treated. Like you notice, like the two ADs get called into the principal's office, and then A and M LSU had like an actual fight where someone's like pacemaker got jarred and nothing happened. <laughs> and they haven't had that meeting yet either, which is. Weird. Probably never going to happen. Yeah. News flash. No. But it's still the idea. Of it. Which is, it's a little ridiculous to throw that out there that oh they're going to have to come and sit down and we're going to talk this thing out. Well then do it. Hmm. Yeah, Birmingham is two hours away. Do it. They should send me and Rippy, and we will act as the representatives for our representatives. You, you will be the emissaries, the emissaries, ambassadors, if you will. Borky, I'm not sure that's exactly the road you were wanting to go down on this, but I don't know. Hey, I'm just along. We got a convertible, tops down, winds blowing. I don't care where we drive. <laughs> I like to think I'm Alan in the back seat yelling at the surrounding cars. Like I'm the one with glasses. Backpack. <laughs> you carrying Charlotte's Web along for some reading material. You and Wilbur in the back seat. For that book on counting cards being a foolproof system. It's like yeah. Rain Man. The tiger's name wasn't Wilbur, <laughs> I don't think. We just uh, we just hit one of those moments where uh, Rippy starts laughing really hard at his own joke that he doesn't finish on the air for everybody else. I played the, the, the Hangover clip for Richard the other day about Alan being convinced counting cards was a foolproof system. Hangover's probably my favorite movie of all time. Not even really close. It's up there in one of the greatest comedies of all time, too. I can watch it's it. It's great. Yeah, a hundred times. I probably have. I don't think we can play that scene on the radio, though. Of course no. not. <laughs> Very few parts of that movie we could. If we ever do a Vegas trip, we, we could recreate some of those scenes. I don't know if we want to do a roofie uh, on the rooftop of a, a casino, but, you know. We, we can find one of those giant things where I could be, like, strapped into Hey Dad, like Alan and Baby Carlos. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah. Adam on the Sports Talk Mississippi Twitter feed. The principal's office is ridiculous. The championship wrestling belt is ridiculous. The flipping off fans is ridiculous. The Ed B- Egg Bowl has become ridiculous. I, pretty, I would agree. I, yeah. There's not one thing that you said, Adam, that I disagree with. And there's your like yin and yang between it's both of them. It's Ole Miss. It's Mississippi State. It's Ole Miss. It's Mississippi. It's all of it. It's not one side or the other. It's both sides feeding off of each other. And it's from the the managers all the way to the the top of the athletics department. And the players, oh, by the way, feeding off of all that's going on around them. Probably shouldn't have thrown the managers on the bus, under the bus. It's like the hardest working group of people on the planet. College football team managers, those dudes work for little reward. 
uh, scholarship. They don't complain, though, about not having anything to eat, usually. Uh, Brian says that we're crazy, that super bad is better than the hangover. Hangover actual dialogue and jokes are not good. It's just oh, shock I'll comedy. Fight this person. Oh, that's, that is well, blasphemy. It's, it's time to fight now. It's fighting time. And I don't hate super bad at all. I like it, but I, I would definitely disagree on the jokes. A Super Talk Mississippi media production.